Well, good morning, Abundant Life Church. So glad I get to be with you guys today. Get to come into your homes and talk with you. Uh, so excited about that. So excited to get to be with you. We're going to be talking this morning about a worship awakening and how we need to be awakened in worship. Uh, we've been around this idea of awakening and revival the last couple of weeks, and I know that it is something that, that God is deeply speaking to me about as well, this idea of revival and needing to be revived and and wanting to see His Spirit poured out in a powerful and a real way upon our church and upon our community. Uh, to see our church go forth and make disciples is such a powerful thing. And our concept of worship and how we worship factors heavily into this idea of awakening. See, we oftentimes in, in our church world even have a mis, a mis idea or we have a, a mis, we've misdefined worship. I think I made up a word right there, but we've, we've created a definition for worship that isn't the definition that it actually entails or what the Bible would communicate to us that worship is. See, in our world, oftentimes, especially in the church world, when we hear the term worship, we think of singing. We think of the praise time during our service where we sing songs and we, and we you know, we, maybe we raise our hands or we clap or, or, you know, maybe we get down on our knees or we do these different expressions of, of our worship for God, but, but we're praising Him. In John 4, 23 and 24, Jesus says this. He's having a conversation with a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans worshipped in a different place than the Jews. Um, at the time, the Jews believed in going to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans went to their own mountain. And they went to two different places and they worshipped in separate spaces. And so the, the lady asked Jesus a question as to why, this, why the Jews think it's wrong that she does. And Jesus answers her this way. He says, listen, he says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And he's communicating an idea, right, to her that, that it's not necessarily so much the place, right, but the attitude of the person. That worship is a, is a heart condition, that worship is, is a mindset, that worship is something that we put on. It is a spirit that we carry with us, a spirit of worship, an attitude of worship that we bring with us wherever we go. And we worship Him in truth. We worship Him in the truth of who He is. We worship God for who He is, for what He's done for us, for what He will continue to do for us. And worship is such a powerful thing and it's such an important part of our Christian lives and of, and of our faith journey and of our living for God, worship is so incredibly important for that. Um, what we often see as worship in the church, though, is singing, and we create this praise idea as worship, and we set that up. We have the worship leader as the one who leads the singing, right? And realistically, not that that's not worship, but it's, it's praise. Singing is singing praises to God. We're praising His name, and that's really only a small part of worship. It's if we were to take a pie chart of the whole thing, singing and praise would only be a very small portion of the praise of the worship that you give to God at any point in time. And yet worship is this huge idea that we really want to narrow down. So I have three questions that I want to talk through today with you guys. Three questions about worship. And the first one is, what do you worship? What do you worship? The first thing we need to understand about that is, is that everybody worships something. Everyone worships something. We were designed to worship something. We were created with the idea of worshiping something. And everyone worships something. 
Exodus 20, verse 3, God is relating the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, and he starts with this one. He says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not put anything else in my place. I am to be first. I am to be foremost. I am to be the object of your worship. Your worship is to be poured out to me. Now notice God didn't say you are to not sing songs to, to anyone else but me. No. Right? And we know today people write songs about all different kinds of things, right? There's love songs and all that kind of stuff. And I've never heard anyone say, oh, that's evil. You shouldn't sing a love song, right? Or anything like that. Especially, you know, between a husband and a wife, it's a beautiful thing. There are Christian artists who write love songs about their spouse and things like that. It's this beautiful thing. Because worship is not simply about singing. But again, this concept of what do we worship? What do we worship? What, what has your heart? What has your heart? What do you worship? What, what consumes your thoughts? What consumes your mind? What, what motivates your actions? Because often I find the things that consume our thoughts, the things that motivate our actions, those are the true indicators of what it is that we worship. And sometimes we place things in God's place. We make idols out of things that were never meant to be that. And we place things in God's place. And it's not all the time bad things. There are parents who worship at the altar of their children. There are people who worship at the altar of their spouse. There are people who worship at the altar of video games or of Netflix or of anything like that. They, they take these things that aren't necessarily inherently wrong and they put them into a status and into a place where they don't belong. Remember in the Bible that Jesus says that we are to love him so much that our love for anyone else actually seems like hatred. That we are to love God so much that the way we love our children or the way we love our spouse or the way we love our parent should actually appear almost as though we hated that person in comparison to how much we love God. And this is a difficult concept for a lot of us to wrap our minds around. And it's, I think, in times because we haven't truly embraced the idea of worship. And we haven't truly had a spiritual awakening. We haven't experienced revival. We haven't truly latched on to everything. Pastor talked last week about uh, an awakening through healing and how God wants to heal us and how he wants to heal our broken hearts and, and all of these things. And when we experience that, where it brings us in love for God is so incredible that we can easily then begin to move him into a place where we say, God, whatever you say, I will, I will do. God, whatever, whatever you want, I want. Jesus says uh, in, in the, one of the Gospels, I believe it's in Matthew, he's talking and he is, he's teaching and he says this. He says, wherever your, heart, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why I say, what do, you, what do you value? What motivates your decision? What motivates your thought process? What motivates how you make decisions? Because oftentimes that is what is your, your object of worship. What consumes your thoughts? What consumes your mind? He goes on later to say, listen, you cannot serve two masters. You can't split your worship between some thing and God. He says, listen, you'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll despise the one and love the other. He's pretty much saying, it's not possible. You cannot serve two masters. You can't divide your time equally between God and between someone else. 
And as we go through our lives and we put things in place of God and we put things and we worship something else other than Him and then we get upset and we get frustrated when our lives don't go the way we want or we we feel a disconnect in our relationship with God and it's because we haven't continued to keep Him at the spot in our lives where He is always supposed to be. He is supposed to be number one. He is supposed to be first and foremost all the time. And I know many parents who've said they struggle with this. How do, I, how do I put God before my children? Or how do I put God before my spouse? And the truth is, when you do that, you set an example for your children of a life lived for Christ, of a life lived for God and the way that it should be lived. It's a powerful thing you teach your children when you place God in the highest perspective and in the highest moment and the highest place in your life. In the book of Joshua, in Joshua's farewell address to the Israelites, he's, he's encouraging them to continue to take the land of Israel and to rid it of the Canaanites who were there. And he gives a charge to the people of Israel in that time. He says, listen, choose this day who you will serve, whether it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He understood that worship was a choice. He understood that what we serve is a choice. That we choose what we worship. And some of you guys say, well, I've not chosen to put something else in front of God. Sometimes a lack of decision, a lack of choice to place God first is automatically choosing something else. It's automatically choosing to put yourself first. Choosing to put your needs first, your wants first, your ideas, your thoughts, everything else first. Sometimes our lack of choice to serve God first is automatically a choice to put ourselves first. Not oftentimes, it all the time is. Indecision is always putting yourself first. So I'd ask you again, what do you worship? What do you worship? Do you worship God? Or do you worship something else? The second question is why do you worship? And why is a a fun question, isn't it? I have a four-year-old, a beautiful little girl. She's the apple of my eye. Her name's Riley. Uh, If you're watching this and you've not ever attended Abundant Life Church, then you've never met Riley, never had the opportunity to to be graced by her presence. But Riley is a joyous ball of energy. Um, And Riley always wants to be going and doing something. And uh, I, I love it. I love that she just has this, this zest for life. And she is so wonderful and so sweet. But she always wants to be doing something. And as we are now at a, on a stay home kind of a thing. And we're home a lot more. And mom and dad are working from home and doing this kind of stuff. Some of the things she wants to do, not that they're wrong, but there's something that she has to be supervised in doing. And so she'll ask, can I do this? And we'll tell her no. And her follow-up question is always, Why? She's four. Why? She wants to know why. She's at the age where why is important, not just simply the answer being no, but she needs to know the reason why not. Well, in the same way with worship, when we've answered the question of what do we worship, we can then begin to figure out the why. Because here's the thing, the what always shows the why. The what always shows the why. For me in my own life, I have to be careful because the thing that in recent months and last year even has sometimes fought for the position of first in my life is is physical fitness and being fit and being healthy um 
the why because I got tired of being unhealthy, right? I got tired of all the things that went along with that. And that why is a powerful motivator. And that motivator can sometimes move me, can move God from his place in my life as I begin to escalate physical fitness and health to a higher priority level in my life. I have to be careful of that. That's a personal struggle that I have. But the reason why we worship God is incredibly important too. Maybe you're watching and you, you're not a believer. You, you've not placed your faith in Christ. You've never, you've never made that commitment. And you, you're watching this and you're going, okay, so I get that you're supposed to worship God, but I don't understand why. Well, let me, let me explain it to you in the simplest way I know how. We are broken and we need to be made whole. We're broken. We're messed up. Stick with me for a moment. I'm going to give you the account from Genesis. Uh, in the beginning of Genesis, God creates the entire world. And on the sixth day, he creates man. And he creates man for the express purpose of having relationship with him. That is what we were designed for. We were designed to worship God. We were designed to, to live in a close relationship with God. The Bible says that God would come and talk with Adam in the cool of the evening. He would walk and talk with Adam in the garden. And when the devil comes and he deceives Eve to eat the fruit and then Adam. And they do this. Sin enters the world and there's a brokenness to our relationship. Sin separates us from God no matter how great or how small the sin. It doesn't matter what it is. It separates us from God and it creates a brokenness in the relationship between us and him. And we are all born into that state. We are born into a state of having a broken relationship with God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of, of God's glorious standard. There's no amount of personal trying that will ever make us good enough. And because of this state of brokenness, God said, I still love them. I still care about them. I still desire relationship with them. So what did he do? He sent Jesus to come and to die on a cross. The Bible says in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. There's a beautiful promise in that. But it's the thing that sometimes we, we get really focused on the eternal life. We forget the part in the beginning where it says God loved us so much. He desired a personal relationship with you so much that he sent his only son to die so that your relationship with him could be restored. And that's one of those things that motivates us. That's the why behind our worship. You want to know why believers worship. You want to know why Jesus followers worship. You want to know why true disciples worship. Because they have experienced a healed relationship with the omnipotent creator of the universe. One of the biggest things, one of the biggest arguments that atheists have is this, you know, if God was real, then what, and he was as big and as great as people say that he is, then why would he care so personally about us? And it comes from a statement and a misunderstanding of, of who God is on a, on a very fundamental level, and even an understanding of who we are. 
Because if God just created us to be another animal on the planet, then yes, it doesn't make sense that he would single us out as something special or something different or he would care enough about us. But there's two problems to that, to their statement. One is that God cares about all the insignificant animals as well. The Bible says he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground and how much more value do you have than a sparrow. But the second misunderstanding in that statement is that it, it assumes that we are the same as everything else, not that we were specifically created for relationship with God. You were created to have a relationship with God, and you can chase anything else that you want to. We were created to worship something. Like I said, everyone worships something. Why? Because we were created to worship something. And when it's not God, it will never fulfill. It can never satisfy because you were created to be in close personal relationship with God. That is the reason you exist. And no matter what you do outside of that, it will never fulfill like a true personal relationship with God can. And when we experience that, when we understand the broken state we come from, when we understand that we are messed up, that we are broken, that we could not possibly make or fix that relationship on our own, that there is nothing we could do, and then we understand the trueness of grace and that God freely gives us that gift of grace, that He forgives our sins and He restores that relationship, when we understand the power of the sacrifice of Jesus, It creates a powerful reason for us to worship. John Newton, the writer of arguably the most recognizable hymn ever to be written, the song Amazing Grace. Uh, whether you were born and raised in church or not, you've most likely heard the song. And the first verse simply goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you read the accounts of John Newton, the man who wrote this, he was, he was not raised in a Christian home or in an overly religious home. He was conscripted into, into naval service and spent time as a slave himself and then eventually became a slave trader. He lived a life filled with things that we would shake our fingers at and say, that's not, that's not how we live. He lived a life full of things that, that weren't right, that weren't good, that were not God-honoring. And when he finally came to faith in Christ, he had a, he had a, a, a moment of conversion, and then as he, began, as he moved through that and he began to understand the beauty of God's grace, he penned these words. And his true conversion moment when he, he talked about when he had that true conversion moment and it changed the entire course of his life. He stopped being involved in slave trade and everything else. He, he became a clergy in the Church of England and he fought hard for the abolition of slavery in England. Why? Because he, he saw it as a horrible thing now. His transformation moment when he truly understood grace in all of its fullness and what it did for him, it changed him. It changed the course of his life. And he wrote many hymns. He wrote many songs of praise to God. And yet one that rings so true to all of us when we truly understand grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, I can't even begin to put into words how I feel about Jesus and what he's done for me and the grace that he has extended to me. So why, why do we worship? Why do we worship God? Because we have been forgiven a debt that we could never hope to repay in our lifetime. We have been given an incredible gift that there is no way we could have ever afforded outside of God simply giving it to us. And because of that, we worship. We adore Him. Which brings us to our last question. The what and the why will always lead you to the how. How is so important. Because it's not enough to know what we worship, and it's not enough to know why we worship it, but now we need to know how to do it. Right? If God is who we're supposed to be worshiped, He is supposed to be the object of our worship, then it's not enough to know that we worship, that we're supposed to worship Him, and to know why we are supposed to worship Him, but we need to know how to do it. And this is probably the most important part of this whole thing, so I hope that you stick with me through this next couple, these next couple minutes as we talk about this. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Man, there is so much packed into that scripture right there. Let's just look at a few things. First thing he says, listen, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the way to truly worship him. What is it saying? Being a living sacrifice. It means living your life for him. One of the greatest ways we can worship God is to simply live every day in worship to Him. That the way we think and what we do and the actions and the way we interact with people all be done in a way that would bring honor and glory to God. Not honor and glory to us. One thing he's saying, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It involves us thinking differently. It involves us changing our mindsets and changing our perspectives. That we begin to understand the idea what Paul said, is no longer I who live, but Christ who live in me, meaning I die to myself. I die to what I want. I die to my own desires. And I say, God, your will, what you want, God. Lord, I worship you. Lord, my whole life is yours, God. Do with it what you will. Show me what to do, God. And as we begin to change the way we think, it says don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Stop trying to look so much like what everybody else outside of the church is doing. Stop worrying about what they're doing. And you be who I called you to be. A worshiper who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. A person who says, I don't care how the world thinks about something. I care how God thinks about something. 
The truest worship, friends, is not simply raising our hands in church and singing holy, holy, holy. True worship and the truest worship is to walk out from there and be encountered by things that would compromise our faith or would compromise our, what the Bible says is morally wrong. And for us to make those compromises is not worship. But when we stand firm and we stand up for what we believe and we say, God, what you say is what I will do. A life lived in service to God and doing what God asks of us is the greatest worship we could ever give God. It's not about how good you can sing. but about how good you can follow God and what he's asked you to do. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus is talking and he gives this, this direction and this indication. He says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Our actions, the way we interact with the world, the way that we are, it, it shows our worship. For God, And when we show people how we worship and why we worship, it causes other people to give praise to God. We are to be living witnesses of what Christ has done in our lives. We are to be living witnesses and living testimonies of what Christ has done in our life. So when we experience the healing like Pastor talked about last week in his message, when we experience that healing, we don't sit there quietly and not do anything. No, we walk out and we live out loud. We live lives lived in worship. Lived so that other people can see us worshiping God. And before this, Jesus he, he gives them two uh, illustrations. He talks about us being salt and about us being light. And I love one of the things he says, listen, you don't light a candle and then put it under something so that no one can see it. No, when you, we don't turn on a light switch and then cover the lamp. No, why? We turn on a light switch to shine light out. Well, in the same way, when we come to faith in Christ and that light is in us, it's not about hiding it from everyone else to see. No, we're supposed to shine that light out for everyone to see. Worship is about living a life that is poured out to God. So I'll quote this scripture again, John 4, 23 and 24. But the time is coming, and indeed it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship Him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. How do we worship? The answer is we worship in everything we do. Every part of who we are should be lived in worship for God. In the way we interact with our spouses, in the way we interact with our children, in the way we interact with our family members, in the way we interact with people in the world, in the way we speak, in the way we do business, in everything we do, we should be doing it to bring honor and glory to God. And when we do that, we worship Him. And we worship Him in the way that we are to worship Him. It's not about us, friends. 
It's not about us. It's about God. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. Or to be about showing the world why we worship God. And I believe that if we've honestly had a true encounter with the power of God, with the reality of who He is, we've allowed Him to come in and fix broken hearts and hurts within our lives that worship is a natural result. It's a natural result. It's naturally part of, of, of everything. So as we wind down the message today, I want to I close this way. The first is if you're watching this and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't You've never placed your faith in Him or maybe you did and you've walked away and now you're watching this and you feel something inside of you stirring. That's the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you, friend, don't, don't walk away from that. I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. If you're watching this and you're watching on church online and, and you want to accept Christ, you want to begin a faith journey, there's a, there's a thing in the comments. You can click and you'll be taken to talk with somebody who wants to help help you get started on a journey of following Jesus. Secondly, if you're watching this and, and you feel conviction about things in your life, you feel convicted about the way that you've worshipped or the way you haven't worshipped, I want you to know, friends, it's okay. It's okay. God's not up there judging you that same grace He extended to you at the moment of salvation is still there today. And He'll forgive you. And you can walk forward starting today living a life in worship to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You that You sent Your Son to die for us. I thank You that because of that we have grace God, I thank you that you forgive us even when we haven't been the best followers. Even when we haven't been the greatest worshipers. God, that you, that you still love us and you still forgive us. Lord, be with everyone who's watching this. Help them to take to heart these scriptures and these things, God. Help us to seek you. Help us to worship you in every aspect of our lives and in all we do. In your name we pray. Amen. I love you, friends. And uh, we'll see you guys this week at our Wednesday Night Interactive.